Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. And welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, thank you, Susan. Welcome. How are you? Are you soaking wet? No, we are not. You know, we live in an area that's famous for its scattered showers. 
As a matter of fact, Justine said that at her house, it was literally pouring out the back windows and sunny out the front windows. Oh, my. Right? So uh, our little area was um, spared damage. There's a lot of water that came out of the sky. It was um, really something to be part of, and the mushrooms are thrilled by it all. Wow. It may be one of those years where you can hardly walk in the woods for fear of stepping on a mushroom. How We've already magical. harvested oh, a good quart of black chanterelles. Mm. And we saw one of the most famous mushrooms in the world, the sep, a boletus edulis. Absolutely delicious mushroom. Not that I have ever eaten one except imported, because here they come pre-seasoned with maggots, and I don't like maggots in my mushrooms. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I have never yet, right, and they're fairly common in my woods, but I've never yet met a sep that does not have its pre-seasoning of maggots. So I just, now I don't even like bother to pick them up anymore, unless I'm teaching about oh, mushrooms. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. And what else did we do? Well, we went up to Gretchen's, right? We went up to Herb Hill to visit with Gretchen Gould. It's just such a delight to see her. And I reminded her um, about the ages of women, maiden, mother, and crone. And that from birth to five is the beginning of the maiden, and five to ten is the middle of the maiden, and ten to fifteen is the end of the maiden. From 15 to 25 is the beginning of the mother. From 25 to 35 is the middle of the mother. And from 35 to 45 is the end of the mother. From 45 to 65 is the baby crone. And from 65 to 85 is the power of a crone. And from 86 on, the crone sits back, lets the apprentices do it, and tells her stories. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what fun telling stories with Gretchen on Herb Hill. Mm. Yes. Mm, and uh, Zara and her daughter Dynamite were here. And, uh, she and I went to the upper, upper field. And every hypericum we found, we flattened the goldenrod growing around it. Wow, there was like so a, much golden There's so much goldenrod up there because the fields haven't been cut in forever. The hypericum is now trying to grow in the path because it's the only part that's continually cut. Mm. It, it, it is still in the field, you know. It's not like there wasn't any. We were able to find, oh, you know, maybe three or four dozen plants. So that was who we felt like that was a good start, and by um, at least flattening the goldenrod, that we might encourage more hypericum and strengthen what was there. Nice. I called it wild tending. We're going to wild tend this hypericum. Oh, I love that. (laughs) 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 
What have you been doing? Oh, we have been harvesting loads of greens from our garden. Um, we got really blessed this year with lots of collards, kale, and chard. So we are already putting up greens for the winter. Um, it's crazy. There's just so much. And um, we, I made some more elderflower tincture this week and have just been doing stuff out in the barn. Baby chicks are about ready to be let out into the outdoors, so getting stuff squared away with that. Just, you know, like height of the summer type stuff. It's been shifting into more rain, so we're supposed to get a lot of rain tomorrow, and I've been been doing that because it's been coming with thunder and lightning, so yeah, got together for a community gathering on Sunday. That was fun. Brought some infusions. It was fun seeing who was willing to try them. I just put them out with labels and brought the herb in a jar and put it behind so people could see, you know, both the finished and the pre. And it was nice. Everyone who tried it seemed to enjoy it. Some people came back for seconds and, you know, were curious about what is this and tell me more. So that was fun. Oh, what a wonderful thing to do. Yeah, we do community breakfast every, like, well, they call them sunny Sundays. And my husband and I signed up to do the host and hostessing, and we cooked breakfast and, um, you know, brought refreshments. And so I brought infusions along with the OJ and the coffee and the water that everyone's used to having. So they could have the familiar things and or they could try something different. Yes, that's right. That's right. And the first person in the room was a teenage girl, young woman, and she um, went right for the oat straw. It was so nice. It was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, she'd never had it before, but she didn't hesitate. So it was it was fun. Hmm. <laughs> it's wonderful to be in that part of the year where there's too much to do. For sure. We've been eating dinner at like 9 o'clock. I mean, it's like, wait a minute. Oops, time got away from us. Better go in and cook something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We uh, decided to go out on the river last night late after dinner. And so we came in. You know, the Socrates Lighthouse is right there where our marina is. But we hardly ever go out. Late, like to go out, you know, and it's sunny and fun. But we just, mm-hmm. you know, finally it wasn't raining, so we just wanted to catch an um, hour out. And it was really just such a delight to see the lighthouse shining its light and directing us into our safe harbor and to see all of the twinkling lights coming on as the, uh, the what I call the painterly sky of the Hudson River Valley oh. changed above it. It's such a big sky. Oh. It's filled with such interesting clouds all the time. Wow. Sounds we talked a little like about the Hudson River uh, School of Painting, which wasn't a school in the Hudson River, but a style of painting in which um, things are so vivid on the canvas that you think that the fairies are going to jump out and grab you 
carry you away. Of course, because this style started, originated in the Catskills. Wow, I have never heard of that. So, our guest tonight is Mary Lou Singleton. She's a midwife and herbalist and a nurse practitioner who has cared for families in New Mexico for over 25 years. Her clinic, Enchanted Family Medicine, offers womb-to-tomb integrative health care, classes on herbalism and health sovereignty. Her writing and public speaking focus on medical freedom, women's sex-based rights, and staying human in a digitized world. So, Mary Lou Singleton will be with us at 9 o'clock East Coast time. Stick with us until then. I have spoken with her and none of her work for quite a while. She is an absolutely amazing woman, and you will be have your eyes really opened in a loving and amazing way. So come back at 9 o'clock or stay with us for Mary Lou Singleton. Anything else going on that you want to talk about? Oh, uh, thanks for asking. Just, you know, just the normal fun stuff when there's so much green life coming up all around. So, yeah. Hypericum T-shirts. Hypericum T-shirts. Hypericum T-shirts, especially in big sizes. Everybody said, boo-boo, you didn't order enough big sizes. And so I ordered big sizes, and now big sizes aren't selling. So big girls. Hypericum T-shirts are beautiful. There's not a lot of them left, but there's big sizes left as well as a few others. And she asked me very much if I would please see if there was some woman who wants to take her place at the Green Goddess Week. A woman who had every desire to come to Green Goddess Week has found that her life has willed it otherwise. And she um, asked if I'd be willing to just say, there's an opening. I'm making an opening. Who wants to Who wants to step up and fill that opening? And it's a delightful idea. So, yes. There's an opening in the Green Goddess Week. If you've been hemming and hawing or thinking you're waiting for a sign, maybe this is the sign. Mm, how beautiful. That's very beautiful. And red clover, red clover, red clover. Do your red clover shorts now while the red clover is blooming. Tell us how you use red clover why you love red clover or don't love red clover, what kind of funny stories you've heard about red clover, whether you find them true or not, anything you want to talk about with red clover or her sisters. That could be white clover or yellow or white sweet clover or what kind of clover are you using? Send us your shorts and let's 
get our heads together and see if we can talk some sense, especially about phytoestrogens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll just make a, another mention for the Hypericum big shirts. They also make great night shirts, and they're um, they're beautiful. I think there's a picture of one on Facebook that someone shared today. So if you don't need a big shirt just to wear, they make great comfy shirts for bedtime, too. <laughs> Sleeping with Hypericum, what better way to sleep? <laughs> Absolutely. My new favorite go-to wound herb. Oh, I have been, yeah, Hypericum and me have been hanging out a lot more since the conference. So it's been, it's been great getting getting to know her and have her getting to know me more. Beautiful. Yes. I wouldn't have imagined that an herb that was already in my everyday life could become even closer and more intimate, but that certainly happened. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In so many ways. It's just, yeah, yeah. Do we have any questions tonight? Uh, yes, we do. We have four listeners that have raised their hands already. I'll remind everyone listening that if you have a question for Susan this evening, please press 1 that we can see your hands go up in the queue. And I see another hand is up. So we have five hands that are raised. And everyone, remember to press one if you have a question and we can see you that way in the queue. And the next, or the first caller is dialed in from the 845 area code. So from the 845, you are live with Susan. Hi. Good evening, Susan. Good evening. Well... Guess what? My blood pressure went up very high, and my doctor doubled the dose of what I'm taking, the medication for uh, high blood pressure and heart, and uh, I am sleeping most of the day. I've never slept before in my life, and I'm checking my blood pressure before and then after I take the medication, and uh, I am extremely unhappy. So before it goes to 157, 170, and uh, after I take the medication now or later, it drops to 140, 135, the the diastolic is very high. When I have 157, the diastolic is 90, which is written by my doctor. And uh, I don't want to take it, and I'm taking it because I don't want a stroke. And uh, I am open to new good suggestions that you have for me. All right. <clears throat> I hear you. Your blood pressure became alarmingly high. 
And so your doctor doubled up on your medications? Only one. I take only Just one. one. Reluctantly, and she doubled and Do you it. know what it is? Is it a yeah. diuretic? Is it an ACE inhibitor? Is it a beta blocker? It's metoprolol, and I don't know what it is. I'm uh, not familiar. Uh, I guess I read about it some time ago, but uh, uh-huh. I don't remember what it is for. So one it's of the things that can be done, if you're unhappy with the way you feel on yeah. a blood pressure medication, yeah. is to use a different class of blood pressure medication one that acts through a different mechanism in the body. Often, and perhaps what you are taking, excuse me, (coughs) 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 one's kiss, two's a wish, three's a letter. Mm, I'm going to get a letter. Frequently nowadays, they're already bundled together to more drugs in a pill. So that's possibly what's going on. You are having side effects that you don't like? Question mark? Yes, of course. I don't. I don't like being on medication. I'm dizzy. I'm drowsy. I, uh, I, I, I hurt when I walk, and uh, of course I have the you know the post shingle neuralgia that. Mm-hmm. Is so let me ask you this: If you don't <clears throat> take the extra medication, you don't hurt. That's uh, a, that's a side effect of the increased dose. Is the the pain? Uh, yeah, well, I just started two weeks ago, and um, the major difference is in the fact that I'm very sleepy. Very sleepy? Yeah. Okay. You told your doctor that it's making you drowsy. That's always the first thing to do. When a doctor has prescribed a medication and you're having a side effect that you don't like, especially being drowsy, because being drowsy actually can be life-threatening. Oh. Uh, Because it can cause you to stumble, to fall, to hit your head, to break a hip. So the doctor needs to deal with the fact that the medication is making you drowsy. That's not an okay side effect. My uh, doctor is gone. Meanwhile, when do you take the metroprolol? The metoprolol, I'm taking uh, one pill uh, in the morning and one at night. And my doctor is on vacation. And about how soon after you take it do you start to get drowsy? 
Like, is it right, right away you take it and you just want to crawl back in bed? No. Or is it hours no. and hours later? No, it, it's later. It's about an hour. About an hour later. Uh, I do check my blood pressure. An hour later, it drops. And I was thinking, what is that? You know, it's not something that, it's not a cure thing. It's attack. It's it's a symptom. It drops, and then goes back up again. Like now, I it's I have to take the night one, and I checked it. I am 157 by 90. 90 is the top for diastolic. It's no good. So, uh, and when you t- and so you'll take the this drug, and then about an hour or so from now, your blood pressure will be down to what? To one forty, one thirty five, uh, one forty seven. It it drops, yeah. Over and what? Over. Not not so much dropping in the diastolic, uh, like over. Uh, let me look a good one. Um, fifty-seven, fifty, uh, sixty-seven, uh, dropping seventy-eight. Uh, that's 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 fair difference from ninety. Oh yeah. Oh, seventy-eight is after medication. Yeah. yeah. So, why is it generally thought to be a good idea to keep your blood pressure low? Well, if if it's not low, um, I can get the stroke, I can get the heart attack. And, of course, I didn't let her do any invasive uh tests on me so she doesn't know the entire story and I have a neighbor who is also practically in the same situation Uh, she doesn't want surgery she doesn't want to do anything that hurts and I am like that too so By controlling your blood pressure, you'll be much less likely to have a stroke or a heart attack. Yeah, that's the idea. Mm-hmm. And thus leaving you free to die of? <laughs> well, I, I still want to die at 100. Not now. I'm not ready at, at all. I am at one. And at a hundred, you're going to die of <laughs> peacefully of natural death. <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> I want to die healthy. I don't want to die sick. <laughs> <laughs> I want to die because it's my time to fly upstairs.
that's all in my head. I don't know what's happening in my body. That's what's <laughs> annoying. <laughs> mm, I'm sure we do ultimately fly upstairs and then come back down as rain at our ritual on Sunday at our Green Witch Initiation. Someone was um, calling the West and they called upon purification. I said, uh, 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 no, the rain does not purify. Every little raindrop forms around a, uh, a little moat of dust of minerals and mm-hmm. brings that mineral richness back down to the earth and fertilizes the ground. Because if rain was purifying, we'd be living in a desert. So, so I, so yes, we might go up, but isn't really the ultimate goal to just merge with it all again? That we've had this spell, however long it is, as an individual consciousness, and I don't think that there's an, uh, you know, a graduation or an upstairs or a downstairs, but just a, uh, a remixing into the big bowl of everything. And then finding um, where consciousness resides the next time. Sounds very poetical. Uh, and I know that, you know, after so so many um, people coming back and telling beautiful stories that it might be true. But if I look at myself... Uh, I'm more used to my temporary shell than to the wonderful eternal life that is waiting for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm not talking about eternal life. That's certainly nothing that I said. (laughs) Hmm? Because I I know that consciousness moves from form to form. And that... uh, with a little effort, you can take memories with you. So, in a way, you're putting yourself in a double bind. And you have to find where that narrow passage between those things is. You want to live, and toward the goal of living, you're taking drugs. But you don't want to take drugs. Only one. Uh, oh, oh, I started with CBD for, for, uh, for this uh, pain that is burning my skin, and it really doesn't help. The CBD doesn't. Too bad. No. Amazing. Hmm. <clears throat> this is the pain left over from the shingles. Yes. Yeah. Which Six so far years. has been. It's a very good year for hypericum blossoms. Perhaps if you made a little hypericum oil or worked with someone to make it, it would work better for you because of your intimate involvement with it. I don't know. It's just possible. I tried hypericum. It didn't help. Yes, and I'm saying that it might help if you actually made it. Oh, no, please. Because it's a very good year for it, and it's very easy to make. 
I know. Um, I uh, I took it from the best place, uh, the Catskill Mountains, and that's where I take the the hawthorn tincture. Uh, but it's not it's it's not working for me. I don't know what the reason. Whatever is my problem. I don't, it doesn't work for me. Sometimes remedies need <clears throat> to be called forth by the person for whom they're intended to help. Yeah. You have a very powerful energy field which you've worked on all of your life. Yes, I was told that. Remedies, no matter how well made or no matter how beautiful the people who made them, may not work for you because of the uniqueness of what you have created to make yourself. Yes. And because of that, a remedy made by you, by a plant, that's in bloom right now, and it's in lavish bloom this year. There is a lot of it. <clears throat> I went out twice today to harvest hypericum flowers and the day before that, and a few days before that, and a few days before that. And we're just filling jar after jar with these, these amazing red um, <clears throat> oriole and tincture. And so I am suggesting that that not work might work. It was made by you, and you don't have to make a gallon or a quart or a pint. Even a tiny little jar might be enough to change the whole situation for you. Do you have someone who comes in to give you a hand in the house with household things? Oh, I... I no. I, I um, because sometimes that person uh, can be induced and to go with you outside to find hypericum flowers. No, I have a cleaning lady coming twice. Uh, cleaning lady. That, that she doesn't know anything. No, she doesn't. <laughs> she cut all my the, the place where I told her to take off the, all the dry leaves and she cut Everything out. Oh, yowza, yowza, yowza. Dear, dear, dear. dear. (laughs) The other thing is to go back to the hypericum oil that you have from Catskill Mountain Herbals and to a home ceremony with it for a while. And really bring it into your field. And ask it to really be present for you. And shall I stop taking the Hawthorne or? No. No. Okay. The Hypericum oil is for the pain from the shingles. Even though you said it didn't work, what I'm saying is Let's give it another chance by first ceremonying with it before you use it to bring it into your field and your energy. I think that might make a difference. 
You mean to apply it on the skin or to take it as a yes, tincture? to apply it on the skin, not to take it internally. Oh. Oh, my God, I hate that oily feeling. That's why only a little bit is used. Uh-huh. Like the amount that covers your fingertip. Oh, I see. So I think you said you have some hypericum oil, which didn't work for you. Yeah. And what I'm suggesting is that perhaps if you associate that bottle with not working, that you pour some of it into another container, a lovely container, a nice container, a container filled with healing energy, and that you ceremony with that, that you put it on your altar, that you uh, have it around you when you're singing when you are filled with life, that you put your desire to end this pain in your skin um, out so that it can be recognized by this oil and that you do that for at least three or four days, if not a week or so, before you start using the oil. And then just a small amount dabbed on if rubbing is too painful. And there shouldn't be any greasiness left on your skin. All right. I'll try that. Thank you. All right, so you're going to be doing that, and you're going to be telling the doctor that you have an unacceptable side effect, which is drowsiness. And you cannot do your task of daily living because of the drowsiness. And it doesn't matter if you can. Just tell the doctor that you can't. I hate the idea of starting another drug with another story. Well, then maybe you need to cut back. Maybe doubling it is too much. Maybe you only need 50% more. Yeah, that's what I took until now. Yeah. <laughs> you took What you took until now is 50% more? No, I took 50% less. I, I, I took a minimal amount, uh, and then she said, I was taking one pill cut into two pieces, one half of it in the morning, half at night. And she said, take double, so one piece in the morning, one piece at night. One whole pill in the morning and one whole pill at night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rather than half in the morning and half at night. What I'm suggesting is that you take half in the morning and a whole one at night. Ah, Okay. I am definitely willing to do that without asking anybody else. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But you cut that back on your drowsiness. Uh-huh. And blood pressure medications are often more effective if taken at night. Okay. All right. That sounds uplifting. I'll try that. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Lots of love to you. Thank you, thank you, Susan. The same here. 
from my heart to yours. Love you, love you. Good night. Green blessings. All right. And it looks like we have one, two, three, four, five, six callers that have pressed one to raise their hand. The next caller has dialed in from the 405 area code. From the 405, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. My name is Gloria, and I um, was blessed to come across your podcasts and written materials back in 2014. And I want to thank you for making a huge difference in my health. I just really appreciate everything that you put out there for everyone and uh, all the wisdom that you share. So thank you. You are welcome. That makes my heart smile. (laughs) Well, I have um, a current problem that stemmed from a gallbladder attack that I had back at the first week of March. And um, the things that got me through that acute episode um, were slippery elm powder. What a blessing that has been. And infusions and bone broth and bed rest. And Well, I lost seven pounds. I'm, I'm talking a little bit fast because I have a class that starts at 730 and I want to make the history brief. But I lost seven pounds in the first week and to date have lost 19 which is a good thing because I was overweight anyway. and um, But the bad thing is that I, in the middle of May, I started losing my hair. And I've always had really thick, lush, I really like my hair. And uh, my hair just really made an improvement. I go to my hairstylist every seven, uh, excuse me, six weeks, and she has to cut off like two inches. And when I first started drinking um my infusion, she said, well, what are you doing? And within one month, primarily on the stinging nettle, but she said, what are you doing? So I was telling her that I was drinking these infusions and told her about them. But anyway, so middle of May, I started losing my hair and uh, coming out in clumps. And now you can see my scalp and the part is wider and I have some places in the back of my head that I have bald spots. So about the middle of May, I started increasing my protein and my fats because I was afraid to eat those things because of gallbladder pain. So um, I was reading where you, should, you shouldn't avoid those things because that helps the gallbladder contract and release the bile. So I've just been um, increasing those things, um, but more frequently during the day, like smaller amounts more frequently drinking horsetail tea. Um, So I just want to know if there's anything else that you might suggest for my hair fallout because it is not getting better. Would you be willing to let me know how old you are? Yes, I'm 64. But this hair fallout just started like six weeks after my gallbladder episode mm-hmm. it was it wasn't good like for two weeks i i had anorexia i could hardly eat anything or you know just like mild the applesauce and mm-hmm. bone broth and cooked vegetables um the the hair loss 
and your gallbladder are connected, but not in the way you're thinking. I was thinking it might be because I was so nutritionally deficient for probably about six weeks. It doesn't sound like you were that nutritionally deficient if you were drinking bone broth and nourishing herbal infusions and consuming applesauce. Okay. So not for lack of protein, in other words? I don't think so. Okay. No. There was some kind of, um, like, psychic thunderstorm in your life. Hmm. that shorted out your gallbladder and um, burned your crown chakra. Huh. Okay. I'm hearing you. I'm following you. Right now, probably the best thing to do is to use those openings. Okay. And to see how you can use them rather than to um, cringe away from them and find them um, wrong. Mm-hmm. Not that you necessarily have to, like, paint them fluorescent colors. Right. Right, but to um, allow more of yourself into those openings. Okay. And see where they take you. Wow. I'm feeling very emotional right now. Because uh, not to be a, not to create a pun, but I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it just hit me as soon as you said that. It's like, yes, I, I get it. I do have some major changes coming up this year, and uh, I was associating it with setting the old and making way for the new. And uh, but I am going to <clears throat> explore what you said further and do something with that. I know you will do brilliantly with it. I value that so much. Thank you, Susan. Green blessings. Oh, my goodness. You as well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. And looks like we have a next caller that's dialed in from the 570 area code. From the 570. Oh, there we go. From the 570, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. It's Sam. Hey, Sam. Um, looking forward to coming to um, well, the Apprentice Week all year, and I didn't I didn't follow through with it. And I'm thinking maybe this is my sign that I need to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I'll write you a letter. 
Um, I'm calling tonight because I shared some yarrow tincture this weekend with a group of people as a bug repellent. And um, two of the women sitting with us were mentioning to me that I should be careful because there are people who are allergic to yarrow flower. And I never heard of that before, and I and I made sure that they they weren't using a tincture, and they said, no, it's the flower. So I was wondering if you had ever heard of that before. Yarrow is in an extremely large family of plants called the Asteraceae, or the Aster family, also known as the sunflower family. And it includes... Things as diverse as chamomile, goldenrod, echinacea, sunflowers, elecampane, yarrow, um, daisies, big family, goldenrod, thousands and thousands of species. A few of them produce pollen that some people are sensitive to. So it's one of those um, logical but non-logical things that people do, which is yarrow is like this plant, which causes allergies. Therefore, it must cause allergies too. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. That said the allergies, even to the ones that can cause an allergic response, don't occur in response to the tincture, but generally in response to the tea or the pollen. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it matters also what form we're giving the herb in. A yarrow tincture, the alcohol itself is sterilizing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. People use alcohol to sterilize their hands, don't they? Mm-hmm. Hand sanitizer is alcohol, yes? Mm-hmm. So any allergens have been destroyed by the fact that it's been turned into a tincture. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, I've been going through the Comfrey Comes conference. I'm in a course right now. It's a really interesting permaculture design course. And we were assigned some plants to uh, create a post, a niche poster of how they fit in systems. And comfrey I picked out of a hat, which I was delighted to pick. And I've been into the comfrey conference and I'm, I'm kind of unsure what we we've decided. I feel like Rico from the the seed company was kind of like, you know, like this is no, this is a fishanel, um, this common purple flowered one, and I wasn't sure what we decided at the end of the conference or um, if it matters or what you have, what you think about this balking fourteen species. Is that the species? Well, I I did do a wrap up. I don't know if you found that. There's a wrap up that I did at the conference, and. I, what I got from the conference was any part 
of any species of country. Harvested at any time and prepared in any way and taken in any amount is a safe and effective remedy. Yeah. Yeah. So there's... So this, just to clarify, what is this Bocking 14? Is that... Is it just not Henry necessary? Doubleday. That is, that is his, okay. Henry Doubleday in England, in Bocking, Braintree, Essex, England, wanted to popularize the use of comfrey, especially as a forage in North America, Canada, and the United States. And so he developed comfrey hybrids, which are better behaved mm-hmm. than um, the wild comfrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, the subtitle of the comfrey conference was Time to End the Fear. And the only thing that I saw at the Comfrey Conference that frightened me was the 43-second video. It starts with what I took to be Comfrey, but it was a little hard to tell because we were in a moving vehicle and moving just a wee bit too fast for me to be absolutely certain. Yes. And it yes, and then a woman's voice says, slow down. And they slow down. It's, you know, faster than a bicycle, but maybe not as fast as a motorbike would go. And you do indeed see that it's comfrey. There's 43 seconds of comfrey as far as the eye can see. And she says that 30 years prior to that, she had purchased a package of comfrey seed of which there were five seeds and three germinated. Mm-hmm. And that was scary. So you see all of those acres of comfrey from yeah. those three seeds. And Bocking 14 doesn't do that. Mm, yeah. I planted a dozen Bocking 14 when I moved in here in 1978, and I have, well, I like to say that I have a dozen comfrey plants in my garden, but the truth of the matter is that I have 13. I foolishly, early on, let someone dig up a comfrey root so they could take a comfrey root home, and they dropped a little bit of it on the way out of the garden, so I have 13. Which doesn't well grow from roots, but it doesn't spread by seed. Yeah. So it's very well behaved. Yes. <laughs> All right, that's what I I was thinking, you know, doesn't matter what the comfrey and the most common are the purple bells from what I can tell. Um Yeah, and it's just by root. In that video it looked like they were white flowers. Yeah. The the flower color varies. The hybrids yeah tend to be a lot taller than the But The out tends to flower out at about knee high, whereas the hybrids are usually twice that high before they flower. Yeah. So that's another difference. And again, because he wanted it bigger, right, Henry Doubleday, because he wanted it as a forage, right, as something that could be cut and fed to animals. So we wanted a lot more leaf mass. All the better for us. Um, yeah. I just want to end by saying I, I was in a very unhealthy apple orchard the other day, and I kind of, there were 
you know, it just kind of occurred to me that apples belong, apple trees belong in gardens. <laughs> in probably do most well in medicinal herb gardens, and it's just kind of a thought everyone should start to take into consideration. Um, that if you're just trying to grow apple trees alone,ly like that, that they're probably going to have less luck. Often the weeds move into the apple orchard, yellow dock especially. Yeah. Yeah, there were no there were no herbs and there were no um, hardly any weeds. The soil was very very poor. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> of course, that's a beautiful place for comfrey in the apple orchard. Exactly what I thought, yeah. So, throw some in there. Okay, um, good work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, and I'll, I'll be uh, writing to you soon. Thank you so much. All right, Sam. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. All right, and it looks like we have four callers that have pressed one to let us know they've got a question. Next caller sound is from the 703 code. From the 703, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Azam. I called you before and talked to you, and you helped me a lot. I really appreciate I have some questions today. I went to a pulmonologist today. And she, uh, I have asthma. It's not as uh, um, bad asthma, severe, but it's a moderate kind of asthma. And a few years ago, I've been diagnosed with it. I took, uh, when I got used to get a lot in the springtime, uh, bronchitis, um, cold, with the cold getting bronchitis. So they prescribed me inhaler, which was a steroid even low dose. I took it for a year. Then I found out, because I have osteoporosis too, it's, uh, the side effect is not good for my osteoporosis. It doesn't much help me. And so I, I, I just uh, took it myself out of it, and I said, I'm going to go naturally. I called you, and you told me about the mullein uh, infusion. I do that too, trying to do once a year. Um, but the thing is, and I follow my um, airborne infusion, um, but the thing is, today when I went, uh, so a month ago I did the, the test for my heart, the reason because I'm coming from the family history of mom and dad, uncle, aunt, and everybody had a blockage on their arteries, especially even my sister or my brother. So I was uh, scared. I told the doctor to check my calcium score. So they did that CT um, test to re- uh, study my calcium score with uh, with one contrast. No, you know, they didn't give me any medic any any contrast for it. But the thing is, that it shows I have zero. My calcium score is zero uh, percent. But the thing is, it shows that. My coronary artery, uh, the left one, um, from left sinuses of the valve, and uh, uh, it has some um, inflammation. And so 
That's why they told me it might be from my lungs. So I went to the doctor, the, the cardiologist. pulmonologist. He told me, yes, you need to take um, a steroid, low dose. Even. I said, no, I don't want to take it. I want to see if there's anything else I can do. So, but the doctor kind of was not patient to listen to me and says, no, you need to take the steroid. I said, I, um, I don't feel like I, I want to take that. I have a lot of pain, a lot of time, but I don't have any other symptoms or anything. So I just wanted to talk to you. What do you recommend at this point for me? Because I decline steroids. And I don't have any symptoms, just some pain on my throat. And, and just this test shows that I have my um, arteries of, like, um, I have some inflammation. So, you're saying that your breathing and your sensation of your breathing is not different than it was, even though the doctor is recommending that you take a steroid because of some perception they have about your breathing. Yes, because... And that you have refused to do that, which makes absolute sense to me. It's certainly uh, not a thing that you want to start doing any sooner than you have to because there's only only so much steroids that any one person can use before you lose the value of it. So the later you can hold off from using any steroid for any condition, the longer you will have of health and happiness. I'm absolutely with you. About yeah. that. In fact, I, I told her the same thing, and she said, no, later on you might get so PD or something worse. Who knows? We don't know. Then none of the steroids might be able to help you. And I just got depressed, but I said no. That's <laughs> absolutely true, but you know what? We're talking about a minuscule risk of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not enough to pace your life on. Yeah. And doctors, by nature, are very conservative and very frightened. Yes. And it's important not to get infected with their fear. Not to get infected, yes. Infected with their fear, exactly, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so you did an excellent job of not getting infected. Mm -hmm. With her fear, you certainly do not sound to me like you need steroids. Um, Yes. And... You said they did a CT scan? Yeah, it's called CT, uh, it's what they call it, and you know what, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of it. It's for the, uh, to check your arteries to see if there is any blockage. Oh, a carotid scan. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that is such a bogus scan thing. Don't pay no attention to that at all. (laughs) Yeah. No, you know what? The um, the physician's um, task force says that you should never have one of those. Mm. And, the, and what it, the the results are meaningless. Mm. The results show zero calcium. For example, my sister did. She had like seventy percent blockage. She's sixty five percent blockage. She's even four years younger than me. So I mm-hmm. scared. I said maybe I have some blockage too. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Those so, are much more lifestyle than hereditary. Is it hereditary? Yes. 
So, do you have the same lifestyle that she has? Do you eat the same things she eats? No, no. She's a little bit overweight. I um, I watch my diet. I follow exactly. You know, I'm just three, four years. I um, follow mm-hmm. infusion and uh, so exercise a lot. So it's unlikely that you have the same blockages mm-hmm. that she does. She has a high blood pressure too. I don't mm-hmm. have. However, today I went there and checked. My blood pressure was 118 over 64 after my mm-hmm. lunch. I went there after Yay lunch. You. Yeah. So I am. Um, my blood pressure and none of everything is uh, under control, and my weight too. Um, but the thing is, I have osteoporosis. I have asthma, and I'm watching myself not to make my osteoporosis worse by taking a steroid or those kinds of medication. You know? Exactly. Right? We all know that if exercise was a drug, it would probably be illegal because it does so much. And yes. it's especially <laughs> helpful for people with any kind of breathing difficulty. Yes. So anytime you feel that there's an increase in difficulty, even an extra five minutes, Exactly. In the day can help. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But the doctor scared me today, really. <laughs> they they are in an environment yeah. which promotes fear. They yeah. see things which bring up their fear. Yeah. yeah. Although they are trained not to, nonetheless, they fall prey to the human ability to generalize from one thing. Yeah. They see one person with one really bad thing, they're going to generalize that it's possible for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, So, you're doing mm -hmm. a good job of not taking on that fear. If you feel like it's still rattling around in your bones, go and put your bare hands on some soil. Some earth somewhere. Oh, hand on the soil. Yes, ground it down into the soil. All that fear, the mama earth can take it. It's not a problem for her. You know what? You said exactly what my husband told me. My husband told me, come in the garden and do plant plants. <laughs> Help me, then you know, all of these things goes away. <laughs> and I said, no, I need to find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell him from me he's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, so, and I and I wanted to tell you my blood work I did um, three months ago showed some of the things that made me worry because the doctor today was talking. I feel like it's my blood work, and she didn't. She was not patient to explain to me. For example, my creatinine-based formula CKD, uh, the value has to be less than sixty. Uh, mine is exactly less, less than 60, uh, it's 60, but there was a, a gap separal, I don't know what is that, an eon gap separal. My value was 6, the standard value is 8 to 16. What is that? I don't know. Most don't know. of those tests, mm-hmm. it's more important to have two to compare than one. Mm-hmm. With one, you can only compare to some supposed standard. 
And that doesn't give you much information. For Mm -hmm. instance, there is a um, protein that can Mm -hmm. circulate in the blood that is a very rough indicator of whether or not Uh there's cancer in the body. Okay. And the usual range for a healthy person is 0 to 30. Mm-hmm. Or at least it was when I was first tested. And my yeah. first test came back at five. Ah, uh, okay. And the doctor said, well, look at that. That's really low. I said, any one number is is meaningless. What mm-hmm. we want to do is we want to recheck every six mm-hmm. months and see what is happening. Is it staying the same? Is it dropping? Is it going up? Is it going up and down? What's happening with Mm -hmm. your protein? And so when we checked six months later, it was 15, Mm -hmm. which to her was still half of the top number. I was absolutely fine with it, well, within the realm of fine. And to me, was 300% higher than before. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I was able to take appropriate action. Mm-hmm. When she was still being lulled by the normal range. So you had this blood work because I just just did the blood work. Wanted to know how my uh, sugar is, my glucose is. It was a uh, fasting blood work, which my sugar showed ninety one, and standard range is seventy two hundred thirty nine, and mine was ninety one. The doctor said it's okay, but my pseudo. CO2 is 29, which a standard range is 22 to 29. I don't know. Um, that means it doesn't mean anything. That's just the standard. Doesn't mean anything. What is important is when you have two that you've done with some time in between them, and you can see if there's change or movement. Movement. Yes. Is that number that was just barely within range, still within range? Did it get more within range? Did it go out of range? Mm-hmm. We're not machines. Oh, I see that. It's not like that's your number. Mm-hmm. Those numbers are supposed to change. Okay. I see that, yeah. And you begin to have a sense of where things might be getting out of hand when there's a sudden jump in one of those numbers. For instance, I go out to milk tickets every 12 hours, and I keep a milk chart. I weigh the milk, and I write it on the milk chart. Now, in one way, you say this is about the most boring exercise in the world, Susan, because the amount mm-hmm. of milk they give is so... Steady. How much did ISIS give? 
two pounds. Isn't that interesting? She gave two pounds to the last milking and two pounds to the milk before that and two pounds. And how much did Arishka call give? Oh, two and a half. And she gave two and a half the time before that and two and a half the time. It's very, very consistent. And that's actually why I'm keeping that milk chart. Because mm-hmm. if there's a sudden drop in milk, I know that go to sick. Yes. And I will notice it because I'm weighing it and because I'm seeing these numbers over and over and over again. And suddenly, whoa, here's a really different number. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see that. Right. So it's not like the the normal range for a goat is between X and, and Y and they're only giving Z. Mm-hmm. It's it's what is the movement within that individual organism. Within yes. in this case, within you. Yes. Yes, I see. And one of the reasons that the um the physicians um task force um generally recommends against tests mm-hmm. is that the results of the test can lead to treatment of a problem that isn't really present. And certainly many problems that, that have that aren't interfering with the person's life or having any symptoms. So None of the things that you have mentioned sound um, extreme or very problematic to me. Okay. Thank you very much. So for my long, you recommend just to go with the Mulayan uh, infusion and then just... um, Continue on with your nourishing herbal infusions and your mullein infusion and your... You know, however much exercise you can get in, however vigorous you can be, it's all good. And my um, probably mentioned to you that my friend, the wonderful herbalist Jeannie Rose, who really had a lot of trouble with asthma, swore that the fastest thing to get her breathing again was a cup of hot black tea. Oh, cut. Hot black tea, which I grew up with a black, drinking a lot of, well, not me, probably, family, because this was a cultural thing, black tea, loose leaf black tea. Still, I I I make a loose leaf black tea. But I don't drink it myself because it's so diuretic for me. (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) But you could have some so that if you were starting to feel like your breathing was shutting down, it would be available to you. No, I don't. I don't notice anything. My breathing. The only thing is, I have a lot of flame, especially when I'm eating. For example, I have a, 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 at least five ounces of uh, Greek, uh, no, kefir every day. Myself, I make kefir myself. I eat yogurt, not a lot, but you know, at least every other day. And you make cheese. You make coffee for yourself every day. Is that what you're saying? Kafir, I make kafir. Oh, kafir. Kafir, sorry. Yes. I'm glad I asked. Yeah. No, so coffee is so diuretic to me, too. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. But I'm drinking 
one green tea, it's much better than black tea or um, coffee. Well, I miss you. I definitely prefer the green tea. Yeah. But I have in my memory um, Jimmy Rose waxing ecstatic about how all the herbs that there were, and she used a lot of different herbs, including ephedra and thyme leaf. Um, yeah. That the black tea was by far her favorite. Oh, I know, yeah. <laughs> Any guests I have, they love black tea. But, oh, that diuretic effect. Yes, I, I don't drink it. I make myself a, uh, either green tea or mint tea or those things <laughs> drink. I think that's what I mean. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so the, the fusion with the, uh, with the uh, melon is exactly you want for six weeks, once a year, right? With the, with the milk and um, mulayan. So you know, I drink mullein milk, as we call it, whenever I want to. So you may, so when I make the infusion that six weeks for mullein, I don't drink any other my other um, infusion. That the whole six weeks every day I'm drinking mullein milk tea. So do you think it should be this way or shouldn't I do it? I don't see that as particularly useful or beneficial. But if you do, I don't see any problem with it. My take on it is to drink a quart of nourishing herbal infusion every day. And on some of those days, I also drink some melon milk because I need it. But I don't have asthma. I would drink it because there's a lot of smoke in the air. I would drink it because I've woken up with a cough. Um... Things like that. Okay. I would brew so you, you, a quart of mullein, and so that would give me four cups of mullein and four cups of milk, or about eight cups. So I would drink those eight cups over the period of the next seven to ten days. Seven to ten days. Okay. Yeah, about okay, a cup I, a day. Yeah. One, cup a day. One cup but, a day. But, you know, what, what you're doing uh, would be for someone who hasn't been drinking nourishing herbal infusions, who has, a, you know, life-threatening asthma that is barely contained, even with steroids, and they want to really change what's going on in their lungs. So what is the best way for me to drink the um, molar So what infusion? I'm saying is I think that in your case, drinking your nourishing herbal infusion on a daily basis and adding a cup of mullein milk as part of what you're drinking during that day and you can do that for, you were saying, how long? That you did it for 16 days or six, six weeks. weeks? Six weeks, mm-hmm. that's fine. You can have a so cup of melon milk. One cup of melon milk. A day melon. for six weeks. But yeah. it's not like it's going to hurt you if you have more or not help you if you have less. Because when I make the melon infusion, I put them in the refrigerator, I thought I need to finish it in two days. You know how you make a one one ounce of mullen, you put it in the jar, uh, make the jar. Why do you think you need to finish it in two days? Because that after that, the benefit of it is gone, isn't that? 
Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Where on earth would the benefit go? So I, I can keep it in the refrigerator for a few days, even I drink it every day. You can day. keep it in the refrigerator for up to two weeks. Wow, perfect. Thank you very Melon much. doesn't contain any protein. You can't keep nettle in the refrigerator for two weeks, not because the nutrition is gone, but because the nutrition is eaten by bacteria and it stinks. Yes, yes. It's never a stay that much. It's going to be too much. Yeah, right. Absolutely you can right. keep linden for sometimes up to a week because it's very low in protein. And so yeah, there's very little no, bacterial action in it. In the yeah, fall, I make all, a sassafras leaf infusion, which sits in my refrigerator sometimes for three months. There's just no protein in it at all, and it's mild antibacterial. Yeah. So not so all my it's not like the good can mm-hmm. disappear from it, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it can't. But if it's a very proteinaceous herb, it can rot. Yeah, or I know. I I was making marshmallow root infusion in Costa Rica and carrying it around with me and rebrewing it, and the heat of being in Costa Rica really uh, interacted with the carbohydrate in the marshmallow root, and it turned into a really, really throw out the thermos and all of it, Susan. Just drop the whole thing in the trash with the lid tightly on there. Don't make anyone else smell what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I noticed that. But I'm sure that the value of it was still good, and had I had the courage or the nose to dump it on the ground, the soil bacteria and other animals would have been happy to have it. Yeah, yeah. Good can't disappear. Not that it disappears in two days. It's that it can spoil in those few days. Yeah, yes. None of my infusion is stay more than three days or most, most four days in the refrigerator. Uh, I know it's hard. It's, I finished them. <laughs> but thank you. Good on you. Every once in a while I find a jar that gets shoved to the back and I use this plant food. Yes. Thank yeah. you very much for giving me your time. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. And at this time, it looks like we have two callers that have pressed one to let us know they've got a question. And the next call is dialed in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Thanks, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hey. Um, I just wanted to ask you about your Moon Lodge because I was um, planning on attending this weekend, but then we had the rain, and I was just wondering, what do you do in those instances? We went in the studio. And how far away is that? Like, I'm just concerned about being able to walk. I have a car now, but uh-huh. and it's, you know from where from where you park, yeah, to where we usually hold Moon Lodge is maybe two hundred and fifty steps. Okay, is wheelchair accessible if a strong woman is pushing the wheelchair? It's well. Not- it's not wheelchair accessible I'm, for someone in a wheelchair to roll themselves, but with yeah, a I'm, 
a helper I'm, pushing its wheelchair accessible. I'm, I'm, this I'm trying studio to do, is right by the parking lot. Okay. I'm trying to do crutches now, like with walking. Mm-hmm. And I can even, like, use one crutch. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes. I was in the Florida Everglades with a one-legged man who used one crutch. I tell you, he could sure get around the woods a lot better than I could. That's funny. It was funny. He used that one crutch like a spring. He would spring over these fallen logs and just get himself through places, use it to whack down vegetation. It was really great <laughs> being with him. I can, ima- I can imagine that. I, I've, I've known quite a few people um, altered and the things that they do just make you realize we don't we mm-hmm. don't appreciate our bodies enough like when we have all our parts. <laughs> the land here <laughs> is extremely rocky. And yeah, by I know. rocky, I just, what I, really I mean like that is that um, where yeah, I'm sitting right now, stuff. there's a quarry hole. Which, yeah, the quarries. Which is about 60 feet deep from its bottom to the top. It's only about half mm-hmm. full of water. And oh, is that why the we hear all the frogs? the stone that was valuable, they, of course, took out by mules. And the stone that wasn't valuable, yeah. they threw up on the banks beside it. And so the well, path, you're right behind Opus 40 there, right? As I say, you know, my place yeah. looks just like Opus 40 before he straightened his up. Right. Right. <laughs> so there is that about walking with crutches is that the ground is quite uneven. Most yeah, of the path thing. to the yeah. Moon Lodge is mossy, and so you should oh. be able to do it pretty easily. There's some part at the beginning where you might need a little help. Although moss can be a little bit slippery in the rain. If it's in the rain, we're inside. Yeah, well, it depends on the kind of moss, too. Some of it's very spongy and just kind of grips, but other stuff is kind of... Most of what's the moonlight side is star moth and sphagnum moth. Oh, the star and the sphagnum. Oh, yeah, those are nice. I don't have that on my property. I have that thin stuff. Uh, I don't know what they call it, but um, it just barely, it's like, you know. The reindeer moth kind of gray and looks like thin coral. Yes, it looks like coral. Yes, Yes, reindeer moth. Reindeer? Oh, okay. Reindeer yeah, moss. That's what yeah. I have. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to ask that, and I'm sorry I didn't come. How was it? It was very moving. It was quite amazing. It was oh, very beautiful sh- moon watch. Yeah. I should have called. Mm. You wouldn't have gotten anybody if you called. We're outside most of the time. No, I mean earlier to find out, like, what are you going to do if it rains oh. or when it rains? Uh-huh. Oh, well, that's what we do. We just go in the studio. Mm-hmm. And it cleared up, like, really quick. It and it like did, a... but we didn't go back out, as a matter of fact, because one of yeah. the women said, let's turn off the lights. And so we were sitting there in the studio in the dark, and it was just very cozy and comforting, and we stayed there. No candles or anything? Nope, no candles or anything. We we're in the deep and nourishing dark. Oh wow, I love that. Okay. Um, well, I'm gonna try to come to the next one. And I'm you trying very hard to 
to, to get around, and I'll let you try to catch the, the last caller. All right. Thanks so much. Love Green you. Bye. Bye. All right. There are actually two more callers, and I see Mary Lou has also dialed in. We've got about a minute and a half. Well, I'm sure I can talk to one of them at least. All right. From the 212, you are live with Susan from the 212. Hi. Hi. We just have a few minutes. What's I, happening? It's Lauren. Hello. I have a cold. I haven't had a cold in years. Oh, hi, Lauren. I can hardly <laughs> recognize your voice. <laughs> That's what. <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. So I'm I'm trying to, like, figure out exactly what to do. Um, do you have any sage? Do you have any sage honey? I don't, but I have thyme, and I've been having thyme, honey, and elderberry tincture uh, as a drink. And then when my mucus kind of colored up, I wasn't sure if it was viral or bacterial, so I'm using Echinacea elder and mullein. I love it. You're doing just the right thing. Enjoy your cold, you know? Wow. I know. Isn't it wonderful that we're not worried about dying? I so needed to have a cold. It's just very timely and appropriate. (laughs) It's such a luxury to have a cold. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes stuffed up. And that, I panic when I'm stuffed up. And Uh, (laughs) I hear you. It's such an awful feeling. Um, any suggestions or or interpretations? Well, m- my teacher Margot Geiger said that when you're stuffed up, you put clothespins on your toes. Oh gosh, I remember you saying that you years what? ago. Yeah. Yeah. Toes. Yeah, you put clothespins on your toes, and it opens you right up. Oh my gosh, I I don't wow. have that, but I have those clips that you put on paper. Oh, which I'll bet there you go. Work. Oh my God, that is too funny. Binder I want to take a minute more of your time. Thank you. Thank you Binder so much. Binder clip your toes. Love you lots. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Susan. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, I give you such a big hug. Oh boy. So glad to I hear your voice. When we were talking about even if I couldn't the- recognize it at first. When you were talking about going to the studio, I was just going there with you. And just, you know, the rain and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I had to identify myself. Yes, I know. (laughs) Okay, I won't take another second of your time. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you so much. Love you, love you, Lauren. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That, as you all remember, is a woman whose actual name is Lauren Lesser, but I've been calling her Lauren Greater. Uh, she's a pastor apprentice from a long, long time ago. Mary Lou Singleton is a midwife, herbalist, and nurse practitioner who has cared for the families of New Mexico for over 25 years. Her clinic, Enchanted Family Medicine, offers women womb-to-tomb integrative health care as well as classes on herbalism and health sovereignty. Mary Lou's writing and public speaking focus on medical freedom, women's sex-based rights, and staying human in a rapidly digitizing world. Thanks so much for being here, Mary Lou. I'm just 
thrilled that, that we get to speak tonight. Oh, it's such an honor to speak with you, Susan. I just have to say my, my inner 22-year-old wannabe herbalist self is like about to explode with joy that I'm speaking to Susan Weed. So <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So um, birth and practices around birth are practices that um, are so embedded in culture and superstition and tradition. And I don't know if you know that my grandmother had four daughters at home, including a set of twins, and that when it was time for her to give birth to my mother, a big fight erupted between the two sides of the family over whether or not she should go to the hospital, and the hospital side won. And she was examined by a doctor fresh from an autopsy after her birth and died, of course, 48 hours later of childbirth fever. Oh, wow. So you are very close to that that history. I mean, it's it's your lineage of what what happened to women when, when birth moved into the hospital before doctors knew anything about washing their hands. I'm so sorry to hear that about about your lineage. So sad. Yes. yes, so it's so, you know, no surprise that my sister became a midwife ah. and that my first book was about childbirth. Yes, exactly. For me, it's a pivotal issue. Not that every woman needs to get pregnant or have a child. Nonetheless, it remains a pivotal issue for all women. And, and for all people, because not every woman... Um, will have a baby, but every human will be born. So it is our common experience how, that, that we are all, we all experience birth, right, when we arrive. And, and it's, it's the rite of passage into, into this society. It is the template experience for our lives, and it unifies us. We've, we've all been born from a woman. We all come from the mother. Yes. Yes, we do. We do. And... Um, I just I feel like you know even after all these years of uh, you know I just remember being a young woman in my in my late teens early twenties and discovering uh, your book which was so inspirational to so many women of my generation and Ina May's work and all of the work of those those incredible women um, Suzanne Arms who were were um, putting out the call for women to wake up about the importance of birth and I think here we still are treating birth like it's a side issue like it's a uh, um, like it's a niche issue when to me it's it's the issue. Say <laughs> mm. a little more about that. Well, I mean, how we give birth um, reflects what we believe about the world, and it is the rite of passage into any culture. A culture's birth practices tell us uh, so much about the beliefs of that culture, and. Right now, the reality is that the vast majority of women in our culture give birth tethered to machines and with tubes and wires and and um, uh, ultrasound constantly monitoring the baby and under constant surveillance by the authorities. And what does that say about us that we, you know, we worship science and technology that we only feel safe when we're um, we hand ourselves over to the authorities for supervision. That that uh, you know our first our first template is to be connected to machines 
which we look around at what's happened since since our birth practice has shifted to this highly technocratic model and here we have generations at this point of of children and young people who seem to be in love with machines more than they're in love with the human interaction and connection of of just you know an unsurveilled reality and un uh unwired experience mm. It is certainly true that there's a lot of attention toward um, electronic devices, but what I see is a very strong urge toward connecting with others through those mm. electronic devices, and that the the reason that they are so used and so um, desired is for the interconnectivity, for the ability for someone who's wheelchair-bound with multiple sclerosis to mm-hmm. reach out and have a community of other people who uh, are dealing with multiple sclerosis. Just, you know, what are people mostly doing? It's social media. It's sharing right. photographs. It's right. sharing stories. Well, our stories are so important to us, and this gives everyone the opportunity to share their story moment by moment, picture by picture, word by word. It's one of the greatest tools for connecting us mm, that right. there ever been. Well, everything's a mixed bag, right? <laughs> Every... <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I think of how know... many people will listen to this conversation between you and I, not tonight on the blog talk show, but later on as a podcast. Right, right. Through so how do we negotiate this? As a matter of fact, many women say to me, oh, I lay in bed and listen, you know, to the podcast. I said to my daughter, I said, good work. You've gotten me in bed with a lot of women. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that, again, like every, you know, everything everything has its different sides and it's, um, it's light and dark. And absolutely, there's, there's so much more... Um, so much more availability of connection. I just worry that we're losing the old ways of connecting too. Of that, um, and maybe it's there. Maybe it's there in the digital ethers as well. But my my granddaughter of, is fifteen, and I can uh-huh. tell you, they are not losing the old ways of connecting. Mm. They are having as much sex as they can fit into every day. Oh, all right. Okay. It's the old ways of connecting. <laughs> well, it's still exactly as you remember, fifteen and sixteen. It is total hormone roller coaster. Well, then the species will continue. Oh, believe me, the species <laughs> is going to continue. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as I was walking down here, I walked past the elecampane, which is in full flower. Uh, and I know it's a plant you love. Talk to us a little bit about elecampane. Oh, the Ella campaign is going it's going nuts in my yard. I'm calling it a riot of Ella campaign in my yard right now. It's uh, it's uh it's really enjoying the summer. It's very very hot here right now. Um it's been over 100 degrees for the last week and and we you know, I live in the high desert. We have very little rain and so many of the plants in my yard are, are um complaining and the Ella campaign is just um it's loving it. It's loving it. So I'm really excited about the the energy of it right now. The Ella campaign is um, kind of like put into words the my ineffable love of this plant. <laughs> uh, the you know the the 
flowers don't really smell very good, but they attract so many beautiful pollinators. I counted 16 species of pollinators on my Ella campaign last week when I was sitting by my pond and just watching the flowers. 16 specific different species came to make love with that flower. Just in, in the, the 15 minutes I was sitting there grooving with the Ella campaign. And, you know, when I smell the flower of elecampane, I'm, I'm not especially attracted to it, but the root of elecampane smells like the most wonderful thing in the world, right? Like it's, uh, it's like baby heads and, and like the, all the resinous, um, uh, you know, all the things we burn to expel bad vibes. It's, it has that resinous energy. It's floral. It's, um, it's uplifting and when you work with it, at least when I work with it, my hands smell like it for days. I, I'm always, I have my hands, my face buried in my hands for days, still smelling the, the uh, resonance of the Ella campaign. So I'm in love with it on, on those levels. In my practice, Ella campaign has just been such a, a miracle worker for my patients with asthma. I have gotten countless patients off of pharmaceutical asthma medication with the Ella campaign. And in that sense, I just think she's such an ally for um, for our times and for breathing easily. Um, should I go on? Can you use the tincture, <laughs> of, the tincture of the fresh root? I'm doing the tincture of the fresh root primarily, but, I, you know, I've, I've been doing an oxymel lately of, of the root, and that some of my patients will not have it any other way. Once they've had the oxymel, they do not want it in any other way. Uh, for some people, I, I, um, we do a tea of the dried herb. Um, it seems to work really well however we use it, but everyone has their preparation that they enjoy most. During COVID, what I found was I, you know, I make Ella Campaign honey every fall, and I just um, I chop it up and, and wilt it for, a, you know, just dry it for a day or two and then cover it with honey. I've been covering it with fireweed honey, which is um, – has the, the power of all of that plant as well, and let that sit for a year. And I know it's super controversial to discuss all things COVID, but I, I feel like now we can talk about these things. I was working so hard to keep people out of the hospital because it was very hard to communicate with people once they'd been hospitalized and, and they couldn't have anyone with them. And, and we all – was just working really hard to keep people well enough to not need hospitalization during the – the worst of that virus in my community. And when people's oxygen was below 90, I'd give them a spoonful of that elecampane honey, and within moments their oxygen would be above 95. It was, it was miraculous. I've seen exactly that effect with people with emphysema. Uh-huh. Huh. That's amazing. So that's, like that's just, incredible. Like floods the body with oxygen. I don't know what the exact mechanism is, if it's really, you know, being able to reinflate those little balloons or if it's somehow um, having such a strong relaxing effect on all the lung tissues that more oxygen gets in. But it's fast. Fast. Very, very fast. And and prolonged. Like, I, I don't need – I wouldn't need to keep dosing it every five minutes. We would um, – We'd have a bit of, you know, we'd have at least an hour of, you know, now we can get some chicken broth into you. Now we can, we've dealt with the most important, 
you know, the triage of, okay, let's get your oxygen up and now we can work on nourishing you and um, and the fear would subside because the person can breathe. It's just, um, it would give us all of this literal breathing room to then go deeper with the, with healing someone. I like that. Give us breathing room, exactly. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> Wonderful plant. It's just one of my favorites. Don't I mean, how would you describe the smell of the, the fresh root? I actually think that the fresh root smells like the way you always wanted mothballs to smell. <laughs> uh, can you elaborate on that? Like how I don't know how he wanted mothballs to smell. Well, you know, mothballs... Like you've like, I think my first experience of mothballs was from afar in some clothing, and it was this rather appealing scent. But as I got nearer to it, and then actually experienced mothballs, it was really icky and awful, uh-huh. and a scent that you don't like. But there is there's still that like little linger of the mm-hmm. far off, you know, in some woman's fur or something, just that yeah. light whiff of mothballs. Is actually so attractive that I find in the Ella campaign. Oh, that is such. That's a beautiful way to describe it. It is one of my favorite smells in the world. I just, I just love working with it. And then I love the, um, the old wisdom of it. You know, when you when you read like the, what the medieval and and slightly later herbalists would talk about how the, um, it was called elf elf dock, and the Ella campaign was the remedy for being elf shot which was um, a very well-established um, uh, and well-known medical condition in, in the Middle Ages where you would be tired all the time and feel random wandering pains in the body and just not feel well and because you were out of alignment with the invisible world and the elves were shooting arrows at you to, you know, because you're, you're not in, in good relationship with with the elves and the fairies, and the Ella campaign is the remedy for that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? That is beautiful. I know. I think many of us are feeling elf shot elf these days. Shot. Yes. <laughs> so that's, that's time there for you. Before time gets away from us. Well, Tell that, people how they can get in touch with you if they want more. Sure. Um, you can. Uh, my website is enchantedfamilymedicine.com, and you can um, find me there. There's a contact form there if, if people would like to consult with me or, or contact me. Um, I have a substack where I write about all things health. I, I just recently started my substack, so it's just getting rolling, but um, that is Mary Lou Singleton at Substack on, on the Substack app. Um, and that, uh, I, you know, if people would like to support my work, I, that's always, always welcome, but all of the articles are available for free as well. So if people would like to, you can subscribe for free to my Substack and read my writing there. And I am in the process of getting more herbal classes together. Right now I, I don't have anything on the, um, that's scheduled on the horizon, but um, just keep, keep watching and that will show up on my, on my webpage soon of when different classes. And as we were saying earlier, that's a wonderful benefit of, of the digital age and connection that, that I will be offering Zoom classes and recording those so people won't have to move to Albuquerque to study with me. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so 
you've been working with herbs and been an American herbalist for, what, 25, 30 years. Yes. Has anything changed? A lot has changed. So I, um, it's interesting how it kind of parallels midwifery in a bit. So I, um, you know, I'm the generation where I was studying with, with your amazing generation, both in midwifery and herbalism. I had, um, you know, the, the incredible luck and blessing to um, study with Trone Lodog and Michael Moore when, when they both had schools here in Albuquerque. And then I studied, yeah, right? That was like the halcyon days of, of herbal education here. And, mm. um, and then I also studied with Ina Mae Gaskin, um, you know, and so that, that generation that had, um, you know, pioneered, the, you know, brought things back from the ashes in, in, in many ways and, and created all this ground for, for people like me to come and actually have a structured herbal education. Um, it was a time of a lot of, of uh, hope and optimism about um, we were going to change the world, right? We were going to, we we're going to um, change the medical system, and we're going to get credentialing and be be able to take insurance, and we were going to we we're going to change change from this sickness centered um, system to having people be able to go see an herbalist on their insurance and actually get well. And I really believed that was going to happen. And what I've seen instead is... I fought is, really hard against that. Yeah, I am so glad you did. And, and I'm, <laughs> I, I wish I had listened more to the women who were speaking out against that in both midwifery and herbalism. I've done a complete 180 and feel like um, the revolution will not be certified. <laughs> <laughs> Because you know, and that's what I said to herbalists. I said you just look over there at the midwives, and they sold themselves right down the river to get certified. Yeah, yeah, and it it um it created more problems than it solved, and and it it um it took you know that I mean you you know when you merge yourself with the system, you you know you you lose. You lose what's best about about where you come from in many ways, you know, and you get standardized and you end up serving the system. So I've seen that happen a bit with the herbalists. And one thing I've I've noticed now that I, you know I walk in a lot of worlds and I am a nurse practitioner. So in New Mexico, we're a very poor state and we don't have enough healthcare providers. And um, nurse practitioners have full sc- uh, scope of practice here, where I practice independently as a primary healthcare provider. So I'm my colleagues are our physicians and other nurse practitioners and PAs. And um, when I go to medical conferences, I'm, I'm always shocked at how people actually seem kinder and more collegial and less in competition with each other than when I go to a lot of the herbal conferences where everybody's trying to literally outsmart each other. <laughs> and, and that makes me really sad to watch the herbalists try to um, – the language of allopathic medicine better than anybody else in two. Gosh, I'm um, wondering what herbal conferences you're going to. Well, I like the women's conferences, and I don't find it there. Oh, right. I'm I go to because this never goes on at the women's conferences. No, this does not. And I should I should have clarified that because I love the wise woman conferences, and I'm so again so grateful to you and to all to Linda and to the, all the women who are keeping that um, that alive and thriving. Um, no, when I go to the 
you know, when you go to the mixed sex conferences, for one thing, like the it's so male centric. Like you, I I've met women who have primarily studied in that realm who have literally told me to my face, well, you know, the problem is there aren't really very many female herbalists. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 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 and so yeah that that competitive more masculine energy and then the um you know this push toward certification this push toward reductionism of of uh breaking the plants all into their chemical constituencies and believing our current you know there's there's truth in all in all story and there's truth in all world views and i i think there's value in the reductionist medical model for for some things but for me the you know, when I'm working with the herbs, I'm not thinking about someone's brain chemistry. I'm, I'm thinking about how this living entity of this plant that I have a relationship with can help this other entity of this person I have a relationship with get in better, um, in you know, just get in better alignment and and heal. I'm 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 thinking of it in terms of beings interacting and and magic and energies and um I I'm so grateful that with the herbs I with 99% of the herbs I don't need to be um worried about killing somebody like I do when I'm writing for a pharmaceutical you know where it's like a very thin narrow therapeutic window and I mean the plants that I know and love and use um I never worry about them harming somebody, and I view them as whole entities, not as a bucket of chemicals I'm going to pour into a human who's also a bucket of chemicals, right? But I see a lot of herbalists really going down that reductionist path and um, wanting validation for how well they can speak the language of that paradigm, and and it um, it saddens me because to me that's that's not um, what I uh, love and respect about herbalism the most, you know. It's, it's, and I, yeah. I hear you, and I think that that is a trend, mm-hmm. a tr- that there's always kind of a trend in any healing tradition to um, justify yourself by um, having the trappings of the culture that you're mm-hmm. in. Um, only to discover that that when you do that, wow, you're not yourself anymore, and so you you got the trappings, but it's not like you just put this thing on over who you are. You actually had to change you. Right. 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 It's like, oh, oh, what a surprise that that yeah. didn't work out the way you, you thought you were going to trick them, but in fact, they tricked you. Totally. And it, and and, it mirrors... And in fact, oh. in fact the bigger change is a change that's much harder to see, which uh-huh. is the change of the acceptance of the wise woman tradition and the huge numbers of women who are working in the wise woman tradition. Mm. I got chills when you said that. You're right. You're right. I'm a, I'm a melancholy temperament, so it's easy for me to see what's what's not working. I think that, you know, in some ways that serves me as, a healthcare provider, like, ooh, we better lance that abscess, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it's easy for me. But you're right that if I turn my direction to that, there is an enormous resurgence of the wise woman tradition, and that is something to really, really celebrate. I asked someone at one of the major herbal distribution companies 
is my talking to people about nourishing herbal infusions had changed the way they did business. And they laughed and they said utterly and totally <laughs> that when they started the business, they sold herb by the pound to stores and people came and bought it by the ounce. And that mm. now thousands of people are buying herb by the pound. That's a huge difference, a huge difference in how we use herbs and what we need in order to fulfill all of those thousands and thousands of quart jars of infusions. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. That's that's really nice validation. Yeah. So... I think you're right. I think that there is change, and I think that that you're very right that there's always a push toward the validation of getting a license or getting this or getting that that the outside says you need to have. Um, but that the real change has been that that's not a main theme anymore. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, you know there were there were herbal organizations created with the goal of creating licensure. Mm-hmm. And um, Aviva and Rosemary and I made sure that none of that happened. Nice. Well, thank you. You're so you're so welcome. <laughs> thank you. They just you know just kind of like. Let it go because they they eventually could see the people are really pushing for it, which and you're quite right. You know, it was some of the the big boys in herbalism, mm-hmm. and I said to a group of them, "Why do you want licensure?" And they said, "As one, so we can charge more money." Right. And I thought, right. Oh my goodness, is this really what is this really what we want? Right, and it. Do we really want to charge more for it? Isn't that just becoming more? What we didn't like was that that not only are drugs dangerous, but they're inaccessible to so many people. I mean, how many people in the United States aren't taking a drug that's been prescribed for them because they can't afford it? Right, right. Yeah, I mean that's that's a beautiful way to put it, and I'm so grateful. For for you and the other women who saw the danger of that and fought against it, and and it, you know if you look at how the opposite happened in midwifery, and we we clamored for licensure and we clamored for national certification, and what happened was midwifery doesn't belong to women anymore. It's a profession where herbalists still belong. Herbalism still belongs to the people, and uh, and that's you know it's beautiful. I am watching in midwifery. Um, this resurgence of you know the free birthers give me so much hope, and they're they're kind of just going back to what the women who trained me were doing in the late sixties and early seventies, where they you know are just like oh we, you know the hospital system sucks, let's just figure this out, reading all the books they could find, trusting themselves, inviting their friends to their births, and um, and honestly most of the time having excellent outcomes because most of the time in women who are called to birth at home, um, their intuition knows that they're they can do it, and you you get you know we're designed to birth well, and women who intuitively know home is the right place tend to birth well. Um, so I'm watching that like that bubble up of like oh you know it does 
nature corrects itself. <laughs> like there's a self-correcting mechanism in the deepest part of ourselves. You, I absolutely believe that as well. And when I gave birth in 1966, they literally told me that if I breastfed my daughter, she would die. That right. no baby could live on breast milk. Oh, I just yeah, the hoodwinking. Simply oh. cannot be true or humans wouldn't be here now. Give me my baby and shut up. Now, yeah. truthfully, my baby and I had to check ourselves at the hospital against doctor's orders mm-hmm. because they just wouldn't leave us alone <laughs> nursing. And it was just you know, too obvious. But look at what a big turnaround that has, yeah. you know, over right. the that was, I think, 1967 or 60, the low point of the fewest American women breastfed. Yeah. I was right down there, you know, in the worst of it. But through advocacy on all of our parts, I mm-hmm. see posters advocating breastfeeding in every hospital I go into, in every maternity area. Absolutely. And even, just, you know, in my, my lineage, um, both of my parents were born at home. They're um, you know, they were born in 19, my father was born in 1929, and my mother was born in 1931. And they were born at home not because their parents were hippies, but because they lived rurally and were poor, and everyone in that demographic gave birth at home. Um, and then my, so my mother was born at home. My siblings and I were all born in the hospital. Like you, my mother was told, um, you know, breast milk kills babies. <laughs> and, uh, and um you know, just you know, just robbed of that experience. My mother didn't have the same level of um, ability to to um, defy authority, and um, so we were not breastfed. And then all of my mother's grandchildren were breastfed for at least two years. So that it corrected itself. You know, and it's really a wonderful thing to to think. In in my line, there was just one one glitch so it can it can correct itself it does it does yes with the magnificent help of women like you tell everyone how to get in touch with you again please sure my website is enchantedfamilymedicine.com and you can also find me on substack at mary lou singleton on substack um, I'm also on Instagram, Mary Lou Singleton, and I'm on Facebook at Mary Lou Singleton. So apps, you can find me those ways. My website's a great way to contact me. There's a contact form. If you'd like to contact me, just go ahead and, and send me a message through my website. Mary Lou, thank you for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients and for the strong and beautiful threads that you are adding to this reweaving. And thank you so much for being such a powerful worker to restore herbal medicine into the hands of people. And thank you to Sarah Ellen, and thank you, Justine, and thank you, everyone who's listening. Good night and dream blessings. Thank you, Suzanne.